I want to talk about the anointing this morning, and uh, we may go around the corner and around the bend to get there, but uh, I, I do believe it's an important topic for us to think about for a little while. Anointing, as described in the Bible, can be defined as God operating through humanity, doing things that humanity cannot do. How many know that human beings have limitations? How many know that God is limitless? He's without limitations. And so the anointing in, in, a, in a strictly biblical sense could, could be thought of as God doing things that only he can do, but doing them through flesh and blood, earthly vessels. Now, I'd like to look, and, and just for uh, the sake of thought, I'd like us to look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 7. Could we read this together? If you're awake, let's read it out loud. But we have this treasure... In earthen vessels. Someone said earthen vessels. Look at your neighbor and say, that's you. That the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Not of us. Not of us. We could say that over and over again for emphasis. Because there's a big difference between the container and the contents. Usually contents are far superior to the container. Let me give you a, a, an earthly uh, just kind of a, a carnal analogy here. Cereal boxes are a great example of the contents being greater than the container. Anybody know what I mean? Now, cereal boxes may look nice. I'm one of my kids. They pick their cereal a lot of times based on the colors. They, they go to the store, and they immediately know what the most unhealthy cereal in the whole cereal aisle is, because it's the most colorful and it's got all kinds of birds on it and everything else. And, and one of them's got a captain on it. And, and uh, Captain Crunch is, is delicious, but it's terrible for you. And, uh, but we know that we don't buy it so we can eat the container. Amen? Because it's the contents that it, you might buy at one time. You might be attracted to the cover. You might see something that catches your eye. And, uh, and you might take it home, but if it's terrible when you eat it, you're never going to buy it again. Anybody still with me? And so it's the contents that make the cereal box valuable. I'll give you another example. Uh, Sister Beverly's not here this morning. I know they're away for Pam, Sister Pam's wedding. But uh, Sister Beverly will quite often, and, uh, and to be honest... It's one of the things that gets me in trouble. I'll be starting a diet, and just when I get myself at that point where I, I, I say, bless the Lord, I'm going to go on a diet, and, uh, and I'm going to eat leaves and, and grass and, and, and pistachios, and that's all I'm going to eat for three weeks. Just when I get myself convinced I'm going to do that, sweet Sister Beverly Pope will bring me a container and the container isn't what gets me excited. It's what's inside of the container. The container's nice. It's a nice container. But it's pimento cheese inside of that container. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. Hallelujah. And it's homemade. And it's delicious. If you've never had it, you have really missed out on something wonderful. In fact, before I had Sister Beverly's pimento cheese, I... I I, I couldn't stand the thought of pimento cheese because all I'd ever had was store-bought pimento cheese. But it's the, it's the contents. And this is what Paul was addressing. He was addressing a very serious problem in the Corinthian church by contrasting 
the value of the contents of the gospel. Some, how many know the gospel is valuable? How many know the Holy Ghost operating inside of you is valuable? How many know that righteousness is valuable? How many know that integrity of spirit is valuable? All of these things are internal things. They're, they're things that, that, that don't come from our human nature, but they come from God's holy nature. And they're contents that, and we become an earthen vessel that contains these things. And not only uh, are, do we store, not only are we filled, to use a biblical term, uh, filled with the Holy Ghost and with the love of the Lord, but we're, it's not enough just to have it inside of us, but we need to display it. How many know that'd be a good thing to do? You know, you, I, I heard someone say one time, well, <laughs> I have the love of the Lord, but it's hidden way deep down inside and you can't find it. How many know that's not the love of the Lord? That's just somebody talking about the love of the Lord. The love of the Lord is something that not only will be inside of us, but it will be displayed and it will come from us and it will touch other people. So by extension, Paul is talking to all present, past, and future Christians, and we're all compared to earthen vessels or clay pots. This is a humbling lesson, but, but it's really one that desperately needs to be heard in our day and age. It's important because we've got to remember that the anointing comes from God and not from man. The anointing should always, 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 always Bring glory to God and not to man. Paul's first epistle to the Corinthian church gives us a fairly clear picture of the problems that he's trying to address and correct at Corinth. Paul was dealing with factions in the church at Corinth. And uh, when you read the New Testament and especially Paul's epistles, uh, it it can be encouraging in a way because we see that the early church oftentimes struggled with things that the modern church struggles with as well. So there's nothing new under the sun. People were dividing themselves uh, according to certain leaders or, or spiritual gurus. And their leaders seemed to be the men that had baptized them. And uh, later Paul makes it clear that those leaders were really false prophets. And those false prophets had been undermining Paul. And perverting the gospel. That's the first sign of a false prophet. Is when they began to pervert the gospel. Can you say amen? And yet these men were. Even though they were perverting the gospel. And they were undermining uh, the words of Jesus. Uh, they were admired by the church. And by different factions. As, uh, as being wise. And, and especially they were admired as being highly anointed. So Paul reminds the Corinthians that the gospel is foolishness to the lost. Now, I know I'm uh, going to say something that might not be uh, politically correct, but the gospel is foolishness to the lost in the sense that when, when you begin to look at spiritual things through the eyes of the flesh or when you look at spiritual things just with through through the lens of carnality it's going to seem like foolishness but when you allow the lord to touch you and then paul said that those who are saved are those whom the world disregards now this isn't this isn't the kind of teaching that that uh, that people want to hear because uh, what we what our humanity wants is we want to think that that uh, that the gospel is going to always be proclaimed by the most popular. That's why we always 
That's why Christianity, and I, when, when I say Christianity, I mean that in a very broad, general sense. That's why Christianity is always obsessed with sports stars who claim to be Christians and put them on, on, on very high pedestals or, or politicians who call themselves Christians or, or, or actors who call themselves Christian. Have you ever noticed how uh, Christianity can get obsessed with that and be, get all caught up in that because we want the gospel to be displayed by, by the, the best and the brightest and the, and the smartest and the most beautiful and, and the most successful people and the richest people because that's our humanity, that's our carnality. But Paul was saying, hey, listen, you need to be careful not to get distracted because oftentimes those who carry the gospel and who carry the anointing are people that you would not expect to be carrying something that powerful in their earthen vessel. And so Paul was really, he was talking about this and he was reminding them that the men who they were admiring and following and even revering were, and, and in some cases, it seems that they were even worshiping them. And, uh, and this is a very dangerous thing. And he said, and he said you need to remember that, that these are just men that God used to bring blessings in your life. But they're just men. And they're, and they're just human. And it was God working through them. And no one should boast. This is Paul. I'm paraphrasing. Isn't it? That no one should boast in their humanity, but they should boast in the Lord Jesus Christ. How many know we can't boast? I, I don't care how much you accomplish, how much I accomplish. And I hope you accomplish great things. And I hope to accomplish great things. But in the end, all that glory goes to the Lord Jesus Christ. I can't hold any of that back for myself. And when you see someone who's trying to get glory, you need to be very careful and you need to watch very closely because that's a very dangerous thing. And so Paul was contrasting himself and his fellow apostles, especially Timothy, young Timothy, who he sent to Corinth. And I love to read about Timothy because Paul invested so much in him, but and he was contrasting himself with those super leaders who were so esteemed by some of the saints in Corinth. And the Corinthians who had aligned themselves with these super leaders, they felt they started to feel smug and, and superior to the other saints, including Paul and Timothy. In, in 1 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse number 13 and 14, Paul describes how he and his fellow ministers were being treated by these people, and when you read it, it really is shocking. Look at verse 13. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the offscoring of all things unto this day. Verse number 14. I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. So Paul and Timothy and, and the other disciples and apostles, were they were literally looked down on as as the scum of the earth or or as an embarrassment to the church now it kind of encourages me can i just be honest with you for a minute it kind of encourages is i i don't i'm not happy at all that paul went through this don't take me wrong but it encourages me a little bit when 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 i uh, when i have to go through similar things because all ministers go through things like this at some point in their ministry 
And, and it kind of encourages me that I'm in good company. If someone with a great anointing like the Apostle Paul, if somebody who, who, who literally turned the world upside down with his missionary work, if, if somebody like Paul would have to go through uh, this, kind of, this kind of backbiting and this kind of alignment to his character, then, then, uh, then the rest of us here today are in good company when we go through similar situations because uh, you have to expect that when you stand up for truth and when you stand up for righteousness. And so they were going through this, and, and, and all the while these new leaders, these new false prophets uh, were giving the Corinthians a sense of pride because... They were smooth and persuasive and wise, and, and they seemed so anointed. And, but in reality, those leaders, uh, in, in all too many saints were following these, these people, as Paul spells out in 2 Corinthians chapter 11. But because these false prophets were so attractive and winning and they were charming and charismatic, they were flattering and disarming, People were only too happy to give up the gospel that had been delivered to them. Uh, and they were all too willing to allow the gospel to be perverted uh, that as had been preached by Peter, James, and John, and Paul, and the rest of the apostles. And they were willing to embrace whatever gospel these false prophets were trying to sell to them. And can I just pause and say that's the spirit of the age that we're living in today. There's nothing new under the sun. What, what the, the battles that the modern apostolic movement is facing are no different than the battles that they faced right at the onset and then the early days of the first church. Because they were going through this perversion of the gospel where people, and this would have been uh, kind of a, 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 this would have been uh, these false prophets that these people were following after uh, would have been a kind of a, 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 an equivalent to our modern day uh, charismatic TV preachers and evangelists selling miracle water and all these kinds of things. There's nothing more harmful to the gospel than people who, who have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. And uh, that's a very harmful thing to the gospel. And, and, and make no mistake about it, Satan would love to do nothing more than to take little bits of truth and what he'll always do, you know, a lie is always more believable when there's a little truth in it. Have you ever noticed that? And when, when people uh, try to, uh, to sell you a bad product, they'll always sprinkle as much truth in the sales pitch as they possibly can because they know that truth rings clear to us. And then they kind of slip the other in. And that's how, that's how a false doctrine will come into our life. There'll be a ring of truth to it. But then it'll be sprinkled with all kinds of perversion and things inside of it that pervert the gospel. And we need to be wary in the last days. Can you say praise the Lord? So I believe Paul's argument in this passage, and I'm, I'm, I'm pulling this around. I believe Paul's argument in this passage can be summarized in this way. And let me allow me the liberty to just kind of give it to you as I see it. As Christians, we die daily. By living righteously and boldly speaking forth the truth of the gospel. And we live out the death and the life of our Lord Jesus Christ 
And we do this to the consternation of those who reject the gospel. Now, I don't know any, any way to say this, and I don't, I don't, this doesn't make me happy to say this, but when you live out a life of righteousness, it's always going to cause discomfort with, with people who reject the gospel. It can't be helped. That doesn't mean we certainly should never do that on purpose. It should never be our intention. But when people are pulling away from God and they feel God tugging on their heart and they see that lived out in your life, it's always going to cause a tension, uh, a tension that underlies that can't be helped. But when we live out the gospel, we do it to the benefit and the blessing of those who believe. And ultimately, we don't do it for man's glory. We do it for the glory of God. And, and this passage clearly distinguishes between the container. Someone point to yourself and say, I'm a container. I'm just a container. I'm a clay pot. I'm an earthen vessel. And the contents, though, are glorious. If you've got the Holy Ghost today, you've got something glorious operating inside of you. And you have something powerful operating inside of you. And if, and if, you, have, and if you have believed and obeyed the, the gospel, how many know it's not enough just to believe the gospel, but you need to obey the gospel? You know, my, my, I was outside with my kids yesterday. I was working in the lawn, and, uh, and uh, my kids were, I, w I had walked across the street to go meet my neighbor, and I'm embarrassed to tell you, but it's the first time I, I had met my neighbor across the street. And uh, isn't it sad? That's, that's just the, that's the day and age we live in. You used to, everybody knew everybody, but, but it's the first time. And I saw him. He just happened to be working in his yard. And then I was working in mine. I said, I need to go over here and, and, and meet him. And so I did. And my kids were playing. And, I, and I, they were way up by the garage. And we kind of have a long driveway. And, uh, and, and I told them, I said, now listen. See that tree right there? There's a tree about halfway down the driveway. I said, you can, you can play all you want. But don't pass that tree and get close to the road. Because cars come whipping through there. You know how they do. And, uh, and I said, don't, don't pass that tree whatever you do. And so I, I, and I walk, I could see him the whole time and I walk across the street and I'm talking to my neighbor and kind of keeping a, an eye on him. And, uh, and all of a sudden, sure enough, I see him come whipping past that tree and, and speeding toward the road. I mean, just as fast as their little hearts could get there. And so I start calling out and I, I immediately went and a car was coming. So I ran, I kind of ran to the edge and I, I said, stop right now. And, uh, and you know, and I kind of sounded mad and, and I was kind of mad. You know why? Because I was worried about him because I love him. You know, sometimes a preacher, when he's preaching, he might come across like he's, like he's angry. And we don't mean to do that, I promise. But you know why? That often happens because we love, we love you and we're worried and we see things. And, and we're seeing things in prayer and we're seeing things in the, you know, through the anointing. Someone said the anointing. Sometimes the, how many know the anointing can show a man of God things? And, and, and all, sometimes... And, and, and I'm not going to get, I'm teaching, so I'm, I'm not going to try not to get too, too mystical for everybody. But sometimes when, when a preacher is preaching under the anointing, uh, uh, God can begin to speak to them and show them things that are happening in people's lives. And I'm going I'm to be real transparent with you. I'll tell you something interesting. Uh, I think I shared this with Sister Lucas one time. When I was evangelizing, it was, it was very common for me. I, I don't even know if I've shared this with you, Mom. When I was evangelizing, it was very, very common for, for me to be preaching 
and, and, and when I would come down and I'd walk and I'd be preaching and walking, that the Lord would begin, as I would pass people, the Lord would, would show me things about them. And, and, and some of it's too personal for me to share with you. And, and sometimes it'd be things and immediately I'd be grieved in my spirit for something. And then, and of course, I would never abuse that anointing. You know, some people can abuse the anointing. And I would never have abused that and say that publicly. And I've known people who did that, and I believe that's very wrong to do. And so I would not abuse that. But what I would often do is in the, during the altar call, I would go to them and talk to them. And, many, and, and, uh, and, and, and God would, would, would help us and to work through things. And, uh, but one of the things that, that really surprised me when the Lord called us here to Jonesboro, and, and we began to settle down. And, and, as I, and it, it wasn't but just a few days after uh, Pastor and I spoke and we agreed that, that we were going we to be here and, uh, and I was going to officially come off the evangelistic field and no longer be taking revivals. And that when I, I would preach, and, and that would be gone. It, the anointing had shifted and and because and I and I was thinking about that and and I realized you know I I don't want to know everything about everybody. <laughs> I can't handle that because I I love all of you and 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 you know we're all human and we're all going through things and and we're all dealing with things and and uh, and we can talk about it. But I don't need the Lord to show me every little thing that that's happening in your life and and uh, and and that's not a load that I can that I can handle that I can bear. And so God shifted from that evangelistic anointing to that pastoral anointing. And, uh, and I'm thankful that he did. But, but I have to be honest with you, it took me several months to be able to, 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 to uh, adjust to that because my anointing had shifted. And God, you, how many know that God uses us in different ways and God uses us for different purposes and for different seasons? And God can use us any way that he sees fit. Now, I don't even know how I got all into that. I was talking about something else. But, but uh, here we are, and we see that, that we're... We're clay pots and we're used for the glory of God. So this whole drama that unfolded in the Corinthian church speaks not only to the Corinthian centuries ago, it speaks to us because there's many fake apostles and fake prophets and all kinds of things like that today. In fact, there are more today, many, many more today than there were in, in Paul's day. And, uh, and they're a lot like Job's friends because... They rebuke. Remember Job's friends. Remember how they came, and they, those friends weren't any good at all. He needed he needed some new friends real bad. And, and I pretty much guarantee you, when that whole drama was over, he got a whole bunch of new friends real fast. <laughs> Praise God. <laughs> all right. Well, so he, so but these uh, a lot of a lot of false prophets that I've seen, like like in the in the Corinthian church, they're like Job's friends because. They rebuke sufferers and they rebuke suffering, insisting that people who are godly will always be prospering. Now, I want you to prosper and I want to prosper. Can you say praise the Lord? And I pray every day that you prosper and I pray that I prosper. I pray we all prosper. But, but we know that, that, that God hasn't promised us that we're going to prosper in great wealth and eternal health. You know where we're going to have that? Not here on earth. We're going to have that in heaven. That's what heaven's all about, my friend. It's all about prospering and having eternal health and eternal happiness and all those things. But those things aren't promised to us here on earth. I hope that we have them and we go through seasons. But to despise suffering is not a biblical concept. 
to look down on suffering and those who suffer. How many know that in the real world, people suffer? And pretending like you don't, you never suffer, pretending like someone who is suffering isn't suffering, that's not faith and that's not godly because we should embrace suffering as Christ embraced his suffering. And, uh, and in fact, many times we'll, we'll have to suffer for the gospel's sake. Now, thankfully in America, at least not right now, we don't have to suffer bodily harm or bodily injury, uh, thankfully, and, and, uh, but in many parts of the world they do. But many of us have, and many of us could could stand up and talk about it, have have suffered in an increasingly immoral society. In a society, how many know that we're living in a society that's increasingly hostile to Christianity, and it's increasingly hostile not just to Christianity but to all religions. And by the way, Christians are not hostile to Muslims or hostile to Buddhists or hostile to any. In fact. I, I celebrate the freedom of their religion, and I'm thankful that they have the opportunity uh, to worship as they please. Now, I want them to be one to the Lord, and I want them to be a Christian, but I celebrate the right and the freedom that they have to worship as they choose. But, uh, but Christianity is not hostile to other religions, but the world is becoming increasingly hostile to all religions, but I believe especially to Christianity. And so people who despise suffering for the gospel's sake, many of us have suffered for the gospel's sake in our own way. And I remember when I worked in the, in the, in the political structure uh, of the Indianapolis airport, it was a highly, if you've never worked in an airport, uh, you, you, in, in, the, in management in airports, uh, you, you don't realize, but airports are a very politically charged atmosphere because the mayor of a city usually, uh, that's how he, uh, how, do, how should I say this, Reward, <laughs> rewards people who, uh, who have contributed to his political campaigns because airports are, are usually contract-based, and so uh, there's millions and millions and even billions of dollars at stake in airports, and so local governments have a lot of, a lot of power there. And, uh, and, and contracts are worth millions. There's lots of money on the line, and there's people that want to get in there. And, uh, and, and it's, a, it's a, lot of, a lot of hard work. And I'll never forget working in that environment in management in the Indianapolis airport, which is a very small airport compared to the Atlanta airport. But, uh, but the, 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 the official over the entire airport, multi-multi-millionaire uh, many times over, sat on boards all over the city and all over the country. Uh, he was from Britain, actually. They would, he would fly in from Britain and fry, fly out, and I'd have to interact with him all the time. Uh, he, was, uh, he, was, he was very, he was agnostic, and he was very hostile towards me because I was a Christian, and I don't even know how he knew I was a Christian because I never talked to him about my faith, but somehow he found out and he heard about it, and I'll never forget he was always... Uh, looking for ways. Now, I'm, I'm not saying that it's always that way, but many of us have experienced what it means to suffer in different ways for the gospel's sake. Can you say amen? And so modern false prophets subtly or even not so subtly encourage people who are suffering to keep quiet and look inward and discover what sins are causing them to suffer. And false prophets are able to gather big followings because they disdain suffering and promote self-indulgence. But true servants of God are not those uh, who despise suffering, but they are people who 
are, who are truly anointed, they make much of Christ and less of themselves. And they glory, and they glory when they pick up that cross and they carry that burden for the sake of the gospel. And by the way, true servants of, of God are much more scarce than false. True servants are like Christ, often unrecognized and persecuted. They give their lives for the good of others and the glory of God and in defense of truth. And learning, now listen to me, this is what I've been trying to get to the whole time. Learning to recognize true anointing and being able to recognize false anointing is a valuable asset that every Christian should strive to acquire. I'm going to let that sink in. Learning to recognize true godly anointing and false anointing is an asset that every believer should strive to acquire. The, the concept of being able to test the spirits and, and not to just allow everything into your spirit. And... Uh, and by the way, I, I, I know this is probably a, a, a soapbox for me, and, and you'll just have to indulge me, but not in this church, but in my personal life and people that are very near and dear to me that live hundreds and hundreds of miles away from me, and it's too personal for me to even uh, share it all with you. But I, I have seen so many people that I love dearly who got caught up in, 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 uh, in, in these kind of uh, television evangelists and 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 the kind of people that come through town and throw big big things and they come and they teach them that that they should they'll never be sick as long as they live and they're gonna they're gonna be wealthy and then they run all over the world chasing after these kinds of things let me tell you that is not of god and the church needs to be able to recognize that these things are not godly and these things are a perversion of the gospel I'm not going to get many amens in teaching on Sunday morning, but, but this really is a very dangerous thing, and our culture is fixated because we're looking for easy answers. That's really what people want. We want to take a pill for everything. We want to stick everything in the microwave, and I understand because I'm in that generation. I put everything in the microwave. In fact, yesterday I made bacon in the microwave. That's got to be a sin probably. Is that a sin? It might be, but, but mom did it, so it can't be too bad. <laughs> Mom, I'm sorry. I love you. In fact, I didn't know that you people fried bacon until I got married. <laughs> I, I, I really didn't. I said, wow, that's pretty good fried. <laughs> and then my wife and I'd get upset because I'd get upset because she likes it. it praise God. She... She likes it limp, and I like it crunchy and all that kind of thing. All right. So our culture is fixated on self-esteem, and, uh, and we're fixated on that as the, as the root of success and the cause of all failure. You know, I, I really don't even like the term self-esteem because it's not a biblical term. Some people try to correct that error by telling us that our self-esteem is, is rooted in Christ, and there's probably a, a measure of truth there. But Paul's words cause us to consider much of what is accepted today by Christians on the subject of self-esteem. And, and let me just say this as, as I close. We need to remember that we as Christians are earthen vessels, earthen vessels meant to be broken so that the glory of God can be displayed. Praise God. You know, can I, can I just tell you that that in brokenness, God can use you and do great things. 
you know, I, I worry sometimes because I, I see people who are who are trying to make their way to God and trying to they're, they're trying to make their way to truth. And one of the most common things that I hear from people who are who are trying to make their way to God is that they'll they'll say they'll say something to me like, uh, Ryan, I'm trying to, but but I just can't seem to get my life put together and I'm trying to get all this done and I'm trying to make all these things just right and when I get it all right I'm going to make that decision I'm going to make that final step and I'm I'm going to really start serving God once I get everything figured out but you know what happens that's a losing battle because we can't we can't fix ourselves. We can't get it all right. And the more we do, the more frustrated we get and the bigger mess we make and, and, and the more mud we get stuck in and we just keep getting bogged down in that mud and in that muck and in that mire. You know what people need to do? People need to surrender themselves to Christ and realize that they are just an earthen vessel, a clay pot, and God can take that brokenness and God can take dysfunction and God can take pain and God can take hurt and God can take your past and God can take God can take your bitterness and God can turn it all around and God can take, it's just like stained glass. I love stained glass because they take broken pieces of glass and do beautiful things and then they put it all together and when the sun hits that that stained glass it, it is just a beautiful display of artistry that's what God does with our lives he takes the broken bits of glass and a little color here and a little color there and a little hurt there and he puts it all together and he makes something beautiful out of it and he turns it into a masterpiece that can only be formed by the hands of a loving God, a loving creator. That's the kind of God that we serve. And he can put an anointing in you for whatever circumstance. I was trying to get to this, but I was too long-winded. God can put an anointing in you for any circumstance that you find yourself in. There's all kinds of anointing, but God can anoint you through the power of the Holy Ghost to overcome things. And to walk through things that you didn't think you could make it through. Let's stand together. I feel the Holy Ghost in this place. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You know, I, I just wonder today if you're going through something, if you're going through a valley, if you're going through a circumstance, if you're hurting today, why, why, don't, we, why don't we just go ahead and lift our hands and say, Lord, I need your anointing to touch me and empower me. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah.